in this room right now who feel like we can't be loved, uh, we can't be rescued, we can't be redeemed. Um, Father, let the words that we've been singing this morning penetrate right into their heart, pierce their heart, that you will make all things work together for our good because you are a good, good Father. That's who you are. And as a result of your goodness solely, we are so loved by you. Father, give us open ears and humble hearts to hear the word that you've given to Pastor Joe today. May it convict us. May it cause us to move. May it cause us to be maybe uncomfortable. But may it cause us to pursue you uh, and your kingdom even more. We thank you for this time and this place. In the name of your son, we pray. Amen. Before I get started, uh, I'm just going to say as well, um, by God's grace, he saved us from uh, unspeakable pain. So thankful that you're with us worshiping today, Hilda. <laughs> really am. And uh, I'm, there's a, uh, several people that aren't here today and their names have been taken down. But um, there are several people who have been ministering to her the whole time, uh, bringing food, teaching Bible studies and sermons from notes taken. Uh, helping out around the house, uh, money. All, our church family has come around and ministered to Hilda's family in an amazing way. And so you guys have shown what surprising generosity is about. It's good to have you back, Hilda. We love you. Um, my name is Joe Davis and uh, one of the pastors here. We're continuing with our series on 2 Corinthians. Uh, we'll take a couple of weeks off from it, the next couple of weeks, and then we'll finish it up. Uh, near the end of July, we have, I think, one more chapter left, which means there are seven sermons. In the, just kidding. There's like one or two left in the, sermon, in the series. <laughs> this week, we're calling it In the Sight of God. We're in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, 11 through 21. So I'm going to read it to you, then we'll go through it. But just as a, a, head, a heads up, he starts off with, I have been a fool. What he's talking about is the fact that, look, for the last chapter and a half, I've had to defend my ministry to you. I've had to explain why my ministry is superior to the false teachers who are trying to take your money. I've tried to explain it to you because I feel like I'm a total fool for having to brag about myself. That's what he means by I have been a fool. I wanted to start with that just because it's so jarring. I have been a fool. You forced me to it. For I ought to have been commended by you. In other words, I've already should have been, you already should have understood what my ministry was and my heart was for you. For I was not at all in fear to these super apostles. And, and, if, and if we were writing this in modern English, he would have put that in parentheses, super apostles. Because that's what these false teachers thought they were. He says, I'm not all in fear to these super apostles, even though I am nothing. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. For in what were you less favored than the rest of the churches, except that I myself did not burden you. In other words, I didn't take any money from you the whole time I was there. Forgive me for this wrong. Maybe I should have, I don't know, because they're taking money from you and you love them for it. Here for the third time, I am ready to come visit you, and yet I will not be a burden, for I seek not what is yours, but I seek you. For children are not obligated to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. He says, I feel like I'm one of your spiritual parents. And you shouldn't be paying me. I should be watching after and rearing and, gr and growing and raising you. 
but parents for their children. I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. In other words, I'll keep going. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? But granting that I myself did not burden you, I was crafty, you say, and got the better of you by deceit? Did I take advantage of you through any of those whom I sent to you? I urged Titus to go and sent the brother with him. For those of you who might remember, the brother is the famous preacher that he sent. Like it was kind of a celebrity preacher. Did Titus take advantage of you? Did we not act in the same spirit? Did we not take the same steps? Have you been thinking all along that we have been defending ourselves to you? In other words, we did this for our own benefit? Is that what you think? It is in the sight of God, and that's where we get the title for the sermon today. It is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ. And all for your upbuilding, beloved. For I fear that perhaps when I come, I fear, this is his big fear, I may find you not as I wish, growing and serving and, and believing and following Christ, and that I may find you not as you wish, that perhaps there may be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, disorder. I fear that when I come again, my God may humble me before you, and I may have to mourn over many of those who sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual immorality, and the sensuality they have practiced. He's talking about how they were worshiping in temples with pagan people, with temple prostitutes. That's what he was talking about. My fear is that you will not be repentant of these things. Well, that's a hard-hitting passage, isn't it? So let's talk about the, the different applications of Scripture we have. The first one is the cultural. Historically, what were they feeling? What were the people that were uh, involved in this? What were they going through? What was happening in their lives? What was driving their emotion? And I've called this portion fully exposed. First of all, I want you to see that Paul is frustrated as he writes this, right? I can't believe I have to read to you my resume. I'm frustrated that I have to boast and prove my love and loyalty to you guys again. I'm, I'm, I'm frustrated that I have to prove to you my motives. My record with you should have been enough. I sacrificed for you more than any other church. And I'm having this battle? I feel like a fool, but you forced me to it. Nobody associated with me has ever, ever tried to take advantage of you in any way, unlike the false teachers who are there for your money. They know you're a rich port town. They know you're a rich place with a lot of merchants who come through with a lot of dollars. That's why they're there. That's not why we were there. He says, but I gladly did this and I will continue to do it just like this because I see you as my spiritual children where the false teachers see you as an ATM to get money out of you. In fact, after all this, I would continue to sacrifice if need be, just as a parent would. And in verse 16 through 19, he is frustrated. He says, what, you think I'm doing this for myself? He is frustrated that his sacrifice and his service has been tried to be flipped around by other people to be self-serving. Frustrated that it's seen as manipulating them through generosity. What, you think we all did this so we could look good? Remember we talked about the shipwrecks floating at sea for a day and a half, whipped, beaten, starving, sometimes having to sleep outside. He went through the whole list in chapter 10 of all the things he went through. Think we did this just so we could look spiritual? 
Think that's what was going on? Like we're trying to manipulate you? So he's frustrated. Don't worry, I'm not projecting. <laughs> I know it sounds like it. I'm not, okay? <laughs> Let's talk about the second part of the cultural, the historical side of it. And that's, he's fearful. Please, Corinthians, please be faithful to what you have been taught. Matter of fact, I'm just going to read it again just so you understand. That perhaps when I come this third time, there may be quarreling and jealousy and anger and hostility and slander and gossip and conceit and disorder. I fear that when I come again, my God may humble me. In other words, that I will be embarrassed, that I will be exposed before you. And I may have to mourn over many of those who sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual immorality, and sensuality they have practiced. He lives with anxiety that he would return to find them in absolute, utter spiritual turmoil. After all the blood, literally blood, sweat, and tears, the progress if I return and find that you're not living in the sight of God like I'm ministering in the sight of God, it's going to be very embarrassing. And I said my ministry's in the sight of God, and I'm afraid that if I come back and find you there, my ministry will be exposed as a fraud. As a pastor, I know how he feels, the fear I'm talking about, and we'll talk more about that later. But then there's another part of the historical, cultural side. What's he feeling What's going on? He feels vulnerable. He says, God may humble me. He just got finished saying, God is the judge of my ministry. I'm ministering in the sight of God, and my fear is that I'll come back, and God, because of you, will humble me. He expresses with high emotion how critical this is to him. And listen carefully. He says, if Corinth fails, if the church in Corinth fails, it will make me question everything. It exposes a ministry with no impact, no power, no transformation, no evidence of the gospel. He explains how this outcome would be crushing for him as an apostle. Whereas the false teachers, they would just be crushed if they didn't get any money out of the deal. Okay, that's the cultural side. Let's look at the spiritual side. What about God? What's he doing? In the sight of God is what I've called this. First thing I want you to look at is the word visible. <clears throat> and so I'm not going to read that because I would just be showing off, but that's the Greek, okay? <laughs> the first word means that I will be embarrassed. I will be shamed. I will be exposed by God. The, the last word is a, a, a tense of the word theos, theology. God, that's kind of where we get the word from. Theos, exposed, embarrassed by God, judged by God, he says. Paul makes it clear that he understands his ministry was in the sight of God. Even though he just spent one and a half chapters defending it, he makes it clear his conscience is clear before God. In other words, Paul does ministry with God as his judge, not false teachers. Or even the Corinthians. This is the reason his motives, unlike the false teachers, are pure and selfless and relentless. He's not quitting because he's not in it for the money. He's not in it for the fame. He says, I am in the sight of God. I am visible by God. My ministry is exposed by God. 
And that is why I sacrifice this way. Earlier in the book, he kind of expressed the same concept in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, 17. He says, for we are not like so many peddlers of God's word. And other people, people are trying to preach it for money. Peddlers, sellers of God's word. But as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. There is that idea in the sight of God. It's the same word, the same phrase. I am exposed to God. indicating that his motives are sincere and not for money. In fact, he communicates this concept in a different word, using a different word in his first letter to the Corinthians. In Corinthians chapter, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, 3 and 4, I love this one. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human being, human court. In other words, I don't care necessarily what you think. It's a very small thing. It's, it's the least of my concerns. I do not even judge myself. I'm not even the one that determines whether I'm doing it right. For I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. How does Paul get to this place where he says, my motive, my exposure, my concern is what God thinks. I could tell you personally as a human, as a pastor, I struggle with this all the time. Paul doesn't claim perfection, but he gives explanation to why he is committed and sacrificial in his love for them. And God's calling, and remember he talked about his calling, this amazing story about how God called Paul, who was a murderer of Christians, into an apostle to the Gentiles. His calling produced a higher standard, a higher commitment, a higher threshold of sacrifice than any of those trying to slander him could ever dream of having. As a matter of fact, those who were slandering and those who saw the Corinthians as an ATM for money, they would turn tail and run as soon as there was a little persecution. But then there's another concept that he talks about. Not only is he visible and exposed, but he's vulnerable. He says, I'm afraid that God would embarrass me, that I'm in the sight of God, but I would be embarrassed in the sight of God. And what's the standard? Here's how I'll be embarrassed if you as a church are not responding to the gospel. Because if there is no transformation, if there's no change, if there's no turnaround, if there's no repentance, then in the sight of God, I'm exposed as a fraud, just like the false teachers. He upped the stakes, right? When he says that the failure of Corinth will cause him embarrassment before God. It says, Paul says that your failure will expose me as a sham. He's not going to blame them. He says, I'll blame myself. He is all in with the way he's doing ministry. There is no emotional safety net. Remember, we talked about the safety net a few weeks ago. Paul doesn't have an emotional safety net about doing ministry. He knows if it doesn't work, he's crushed. Now listen, it's a hypothetical in many respects because Paul has extreme confidence in God's sovereign work in their heart. Why would he say this? Because he knows God is sovereign. He knows that God is the one doing the work. It's not him. It's not his flowery speech. It's not his skill. It's the power of the Holy Spirit who quickens them, makes them alive, calls them out of darkness into light, and transforms them. It is an expression of Paul's confidence in what God is doing in the Corinthians. 
But there is that fear, right? It's kind of very similar to the fear that Jesus had when he was on the cross. He knows the resurrection is right around the corner, right? He knows that God is powerful over the grave. And he knows that God is going to resurrect him. He's going to become the, the Savior. And, the, and, and he knows all that. But still on the cross, he says, my God, my God, why have you forgotten about me? So even God, Jesus, who has the knowledge of the Father, knows what's going to happen. He even has fear in the midst of doing his ministry. Think about that. Is that encouraging a little bit, maybe? He knows how it's going to end, and he still cries out, my God, my God, why am I embarrassed? All right. Let's get to the personal side. I've called this like nobody's looking. What about us? What are we supposed to do? How do we apply this truth? So the first thought is hiding from God. See, hiding from God is basically where our life does not line up. We are, in fact, acting as though God cannot see us. Matter of fact, the first example of this is in Genesis chapter 3.8. Adam and Eve have sinned. They did what they weren't supposed to do. And in God's approaches, and they hear the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hide themselves or hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Let's get under this oak tree. God surely can't see us under here. See, this is what we do when our life does not measure up. We think somehow we are not in the sight of God. And we're good at keeping parts of our life in the sight of God and other parts hidden from it. But I got to tell you, Paul's reference to parenthood in this passage is a good concept to explain this idea, okay? Because Paul doesn't want to return to find them engaged in behavior that's embarrassing in the sight of God. And he lists them, quarreling, jealousy, anger, Hostility. I have to rewrite them now because I'm so unfamiliar with these in my own personal life. There's no way I could remember them. So it's just a joke, people. All right. It's just a joke. Quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, disorder, non-repentant of impurity, sexual immorality, disrespect for one another, disdainful, ungrateful living. This is what I want to challenge us with today as a church. Here's what happens with, with kids, right? By nature... Kids act differently when they believe their actions are concealed from parents. You don't have to teach them. Listen, I know you're young, but listen, if you want to sin, make sure my back is turned, okay? You understand that? Really? Yes. When I'm not looking, then it's okay to break the rules. Do you understand? You don't have to teach a kid that. The kid knows that naturally, right? You don't have to teach them. We as adults do the same thing with our Heavenly Father. See, our actions actually demonstrate if we truly believe whether God is looking or not. But once we are exposed where we thought we weren't before, once we are exposed, it reveals our true nature. And our actions cause shame. This is what a life hidden from the sight of God results in, church. And unfortunately, it's not a harmless problem. It's contagious. Because what begins to happen is those who are hiding their lives from God or think they're hiding or portions of their life, somehow we always hook up with others that are hiding the same areas. And we think we're hidden from God together. 
But when the light is shown in these areas, it brings shame to those living in that darkness and those associated with it. That's what Paul was talking about. So that's hiding from God. That's not a place we want to be. Do you agree? I mean, we want to be there. Don't get me wrong. Our flesh wants to hide from God. But it's really kind of a foolish, silly game. So let's look at the next part of this personal application. I want to talk about living in the light. I love how Paul describes his ministry as in the sight of God. Let me read this passage to you. John chapter 3, 19 to 21. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. But people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. You see what I'm getting at? But everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. I got some hard questions for you. What parts of your life are hidden from the sight of God? And I say hidden with quotation marks. What parts of your life do you prefer to be in darkness to be more comfortable with them? Finances? Relationships? Sinful habits? Maybe even your ministry, like the false teachers? And when you are in darkness in those areas, who is it you're actually trying to please? I mean, it's yourself, really. That's a really good way to determine whether or not you're in the darkness, isn't it? How much of what you're doing, even if it looks good, is for you? And let me ask you another tough question. How much shame would it bring... If light were suddenly shown in those areas that you are more comfortable with them being in the dark. See, as a church and as individuals, we must strive to live in the light of God's presence, just as Paul wanted Corinth to live. Because what happens is when you live in the light, Live in the sight of God, that results in pure motives and conduct. Living in the sight of God means you run towards the light. You want the light shown in your dark areas. It also means that you are less likely to bring shame to yourself, to your family, and to your church. Because the sight of God, the light of God, is what spurs surprising generosity like Paul had with Corinth. It spurs sacrificial commitment that we can aspire to. And it encourages pure living, not perfect living. That's impossible. But what happens is living in the light of God, living in the sight of God, not trying to please ourselves, what happens with that? Is it actually, this is important, it will free you, free us from the burden of surface living. Guys, there is a lot of work that goes into surface living. 
Because you work so hard to make the surface look like something when the underneath is something totally different. And it's a lot of management. Thank goodness you got a smartphone because you're going to need the reminders. <laughs> See, living in the darkness is actually designed to impress or please others, which also includes yourself. Paul says, I'm not here to please you. I minister in the sight of God, and I pray that when I come, the sight of God will not expose my ministry as a fraud because you are still walking in darkness. Look at this verse, John chapter 8, verse 12. <clears throat> Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Look, guys, either you believe this promise or you don't. Either you believe this promise and you believe the promise of light and life or you don't. Are you bold enough today to allow the sight of God to be on all areas of your life? Newsflash, by the way, it already is. You just don't know it. How about we do this as a church? And I'm a little nervous about this, but I'm going to do it anyway. Why don't we ask God to show us where we are hiding from his sight? Why don't we ask God to give us courage to run to the light of life and to avoid the darkness? Because you know what we don't want to have happen? We don't want to have our parent return our father return and be shameful <clears throat> because we're still living in a life of quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, and gossip, conceit, disorder, unrepented of impurity, and disdain for one another and living in an ungrateful way. We don't want to be exposed by that. We want to say, God, please put me in your sight. Put me in the light of life. Shine the light on all the areas I keep trying to cover up. So we're going to do things a little differently today. We're going to close a little differently. Normally the band would come up and do a song that's kind of related to the message. We're not going to do it this way today. Today, I'm just going to take a few minutes. I'm just going to pray for us, for you. And then I'll dismiss you. Father, My fear is that we're getting really good at playing church. Even though we're only about a year and a half old, <clears throat> we're starting to fall into some habits. We're starting to develop some patterns that we're doing things in a way that, frankly, may not be in the sight of God. Father, I'll start with me as the pastor. God, I, I'm asking you to shine light on me.
don't allow me the comfort of believing the lie that parts of my life are shaded in darkness. I want to run to the light in all areas. Then I pray for our church as a whole, for our vision, our direction. We're trying to be mobile. We're trying to be organic. We're trying to be biblical. We're trying to be generous. God, please shine the light in the areas that us as a church are not living in the sight of God as we pursue those goals. Keep us free from arrogance, resentment. Lord, shine the light when we become selfish church members. We want programs to meet us a certain place. We want things to be a certain way. God, get us out of that mindset and help us look to please others and not ourselves. This does not make us comfortable, we know, but God, we have to do it if we're going to achieve what it is you've called us to do. Lord, we don't want to participate in surface living anymore. We don't want to paper over our flaws as a church. We want them exposed so that we can deal with them in a way that brings a huge smile to your face. And now I pray for individuals in our church, Lord, in their individual lives, in their finances, in their relationships, in their conduct, in their morality. As their pastor and as their friend, I pray that by grace, Lord, I don't want to know. But I pray that individually, in their hearts, privately, you would cast light on the dark corners of their life so that they can have the passion and desire because of the gospel to run to the light. We want to run to the light. And every time the light goes off, we want to be afraid of being in the dark and go back where the light is shining. Dad, we need our church to be what you called it to be. And the only way that's going to happen is if we do our church and our lives in the sight of God. And we ask for this in the precious name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. I love you guys this week. Ask God to shine the light of life into the dark corners of your soul.